This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly slice of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 174. This week, Deputy Food Editor Adam went to meet up with chef, restaurateur and author Josh Nyland. Josh has flown all the way over from Sydney to cook from and talk about his new book, The Whole Fish Cookbook, which tackles the unusual subject of fish butchery. They also discuss sustainability, waste, and how his book may change the way we use and consume fish completely on its head. Hey guys, um, it's Adam uh, Olive's deputy food editor, uh, and I'm here with Josh Nyland, who's the um, author of the whole fish cookbook. G'day, hey Josh. How are you? I'm very well. How about yourself? Good, very good. Nice to be in London. Yeah, sun's out as well. The sun is actually out You're for welcome. once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you can stay for a while. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Your book's probably been making um, some real shockwaves um, at the moment. Yeah. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about it, really? Yeah, I, um, I, I had the great fortune of meeting uh, the good people at Hardy Grant, and uh, they were as enthusiastic about a fish book as, as I was, uh, even though there was some reluctance there that fish books aren't overly uh, well, well, not real well received, but more so um, challenging to move um, yes, right, at, yeah. at times because uh, the confrontation around fish. So uh, the agenda was to write a book that was expressing, like to me anyway, expressing where fish was up to um, in, in the year that we're in now, um, given the amount of, um, I suppose, knowledge that's out there floating out there. But uh, I felt like the dots had never had a line drawn through, through them. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I don't... It's not that I feel lucky that I was the one to do it, but I, I feel like I've, I've 
yeah, I've had the opportunity to work with Extraordinary Fish for a long time and mm. I've had the, a, a great level of training from a very basic level um, to create a good little basin of technique. Um, and then, you know, the opportunity now to expand upon those basic techniques and explore creatively and also apply a lot of common sense to something that I feel like we haven't ever gone back to. Yeah. The wheel has turned a certain way with fish for so long um, and no one's thought to just put the brake on and then spin it the other way. Yeah. So um, the book was meant to, uh, yeah, be indicative of where fish is up to. Yeah, and I think that's the, the, the real impression that I got from reading it was that there's, there's nothing really that, that can, you can sort of compare it to in recent years. Um, it's, it tells you exactly like how to cook, like many different ways to cook a fish, but also like new techniques that like that sort of top-end restaurants are starting to look at. And yeah. um, we'll talk a bit about, but like, like fish aging, for example, I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. So that's something that, I've sort of, I'm, I'm on Instagram, so I, yeah. I like, you know, I've been seeing a few people like aging like bream and, you know, you see like what, a weak aged bream, but I mean, I, I don't really know anything about it. Can you tell, yeah. us, tell us a bit more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> dry aging is one of those things where uh, the first the first time I, I put a hook through a fish's tail and hung it up and I took a photo of myself doing so, you know, it was probably met 50-50 with response to negatively and positively. Yeah. Um, some just found it humorous that I was trying to treat fish like meat. Mm. And, and uh, quite a few people said, you know, that's absurd and what are you doing and you can't do that. Mm. And, so, and then others were very curious. And so the, the idea with it is not to put a fish on a hook to break down connective tissue nor to make it taste cheesy or funky as you would a, a cow. Yeah, because that's what um, I was going to ask. Cause, like, are you harming? Harnessing um, like fermentation, I suppose, like you do in beef. Yeah, so um, I suppose not. Well, no. Um, uh, the idea with it is to take the best quality fish that you can get your hands on. Ideally, it's been icky jimmy spiked, mm -hmm. brain brain spiked, um, and and caught on the line. When it comes through the doors, then cut. We're we're cutting the scales off the fish. Um, I got to handle some sea bass earlier in the week here in in London, and um, working with a fish that was around, I don't know, anywhere between one and four kilos. Mm -hmm. So even even for fish that I perceive as one and four kilos is, you know, medium. Like it was a good size. They were by no means big fish yeah. like it was one suggests in that book. Um, in yeah. the whole fish book, there's quite a few generously sized species yeah, yeah. of fish. Yeah, big ones. Just so that we could actually, you know, uh, give people good perspective on how I go about doing these things. So... Um, we cut the scales off the fish and if we don't have a fish big enough in size then we'll use either a spoon or a soft scaler just to, to take off the mm -hmm. scales. Um, once we've done that we wipe the scales clear with paper towel then we go and we gut the fish. When we gut the fish, we, we take out the organs. The reason why this is the long way around talking about this dry aging thing is I feel like it's so important to reference we're, we're taking best quality fish. Yeah. Then we're not putting any water anywhere near it. Yeah. And then we take the organs out, we sort the organs so that we have the opportunity then of utilizing, you know, every single part. Mm hmm except for the gills and the gallbladder. And then once the organs are out, we wipe the interior of the cavity out with paper towel again. Um, at that point, once it's all 
clean and clear. Then we put the hook in the tail. We hang it in our in our cool room. The cool room has no fan blowing inside. The reason for that is a, a fan would take too much moisture from right. the fish because the intention is not to dry the fish out. It's not to not offer a succulent, juicy piece of fish right. that we're all craving. The idea is, is to, throughout time, take away a small amount of moisture from the fish to bring about more oil, more fat, and articulate the flavor of certain species. Mm-hmm. Aging isn't for every single fish. Yeah. Fish that come through the door may only get one to two days of storage time because yeah. we feel that after three days, after four days, they're at their very peak. Yeah. But then... Contrary to that, you know, bigger species of fish like more dense muscle and and greater amounts of fat like tuna and swordfish and um, mackerel, Mm -hmm. we can mature for up to a month. And that's through not using any salt or preservatives. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... So, so it's. I mean, I'm trying to look for like a, something to draw a parallel. It's almost like a fresh tomato that's almost a bit waterier. Then yes. you just like sort of sun dry it for like not to the same extent that it's shriveled or anything. Yeah. But like you're just condensing. Well, that. you'll notice that a semi-dried f- tomato tastes better than a. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at then, times, then, yeah, yeah, <laughs> than, than, than like, a good tomato. Yeah. But um, yeah, I like this. I, I feel like water. Water is the enemy to fish. Um, but that's the system that we've normalised globally, mm-hmm. um, both in the east and the west. And but that, like that's for, for for a simpleton like me, that sounds so strange because I'm like they come from water. Correct. But you're talking about like f- like fresh water, like being hosed down like yes. with the fresh water. And w- what's the reason for that? Have they got like a natural protection on them from the sea, or like? Well, they the, they do have a natural protection uh, on on them like when you see a fish come out of the water they've got a mucus coating and that mucus protects the fish from pathogens like attacking them in the water Mm -hmm. and through you know eventually even if if it's correctly uh handled you that mucus will dissipate and wear away through Mm -hmm. time but um water basically you know a fish is porous um you know there's a line of porous scale which sits along the lateral red muscle of the fish Mm -hmm. and so to put ice directly onto fish post like to to talk about this as well like when when a fish comes out of water to if you don't brain spike the fish which is you know like the majority um of of fish then it goes into an ice slurry to get the temperature of the fish down yeah and to make sure that the lactic acid doesn't settle in the muscle because when that happens, the, the fish feel it like the muscle, um, you know, is compromised. It breaks down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm suggesting that ice is necessary for that purpose of killing the fish correctly. Right. But then once it comes out of there and goes into transport and, and traveling, the, the, the importance of cold chain management of keeping a fish between zero and one degrees is so critical mm-hmm. um, for, for a good product. But um, keep the fish out of ice, um, not direct anyway. Keep, keep a sheet around it, keep it, you know, separate to it. Um, and then when you go about processing, just stop with the water because mm-hmm. the water is the second uh, water is hosed over a fish if a fish is dipped into water, you've set the time with the potential shelf life that you have, right. which is that accustomed two to three to four day window yeah, yeah. where it's, I suppose, at its uh, at its most tolerated. Mm-hmm. I won't say best. Yeah. Um, uh, I feel like... <laughs> like, to, to get a little geeky with you, and I, d- I don't no, no, mean please. to... Like, 
fish fish in the water have an organic compound in them called trimethylamine. Yeah. And when when a fish dies, it converts into trimethylamine oxide. When that starts breaking down post mortem, mm-hmm. the fish uh, like the trimethylamine oxide converts into ammonia and ammonia is what fishy fish is and so that's often a conversation in fish shops around town and things and that's the first point of call is yeah, yeah. what's your least fishy fish yeah yeah and they're referring to the ammonia right and the reason like the the only way to offset ammonia is through using acidic ingredients hence why we've got a repertoire of cooking that dates back centuries uh, where we've got acidic-based ingredients being positioned with fish. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're delicious with fish, but we're building these recipes with the anticipation that the fish will ultimately be fishy. Um, And and I'm suggesting that fishiness and ammonia, you know, the relevance of ammonia with fish, I'm, I'm not saying that I can remove that totally, but when a fish of mine, which very rarely happens, but when a fish of mine spoils... You don't have ammonia. You have fat within mm. the fish rancidifying and going sour. Right. Because the moisture that used to attach itself to the fat, it's like making a mayonnaise. Yeah, yeah. When you run out of moisture and there's too much fat present, the mayonnaise splits. Yeah. So the same with fish. When too much moisture is taken away and too much fat is prominent, the fat will spoil um, and, and go sour. Whereas water getting thrashed all over fish and, you know... Um, sitting on ice and all of that stuff is rapidly deteriorating fish Mm -hmm. and the second a fillet comes off the bone you've activated the fish and there's very little time left that you have to work with something delicious Um, one other point that I wanted to make was have you ever walked into a meat butcher where you've seen them breaking down a carcass of an animal Mm. and a sirloin comes from a cow and then it's dipped into a pool of water in front of them and then brought back up, cut a steak, dip the steak back in and then put that steak on a pan of ice. Do you, like, that's not a thing. Yeah. Like, I've never seen that happen. So then why is it that we're taking fish from the water and putting it back into water? Yeah. Like, that is the only reason why the system does that. And I think the system that we're in celebrates quantity over quality Mm -hmm. and that's the reason for the water use because it brings about great efficiency and speed mm-hmm. so and as in all, all those things you're saying is that do you think those processing it like is that do you think why fish has sort of a bad like a worse rep or like it's it's, it's seen as something almost like more dangerous but completely not do you know what i mean it's it's yeah there's there's a great deal of fragility in our minds around fish yeah. and there's so much confrontation because of smells odors uh coldness wetness um you know, even just the bones, um, you know, p- fillets strike fear into most people, mm. let alone giving them fish liver on toast out yeah, of the yeah. book. It's, um, you know, there's a great deal of confrontation there. Um, I think we've built it up into something far more tedious and complex than, than what it actually is. Mm-hmm. There is a huge amount of labour in fish to do it in the way that I process fish, like to, to handle a fish dry you know, it's 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 a commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm not saying that everybody should process fish the way that I do, but I feel like certain parts of my work, I hope, um, not only in restaurants but on like a very big scale, mm-hmm. can get adapted so that we take fewer fish from the water because the methods that I'm suggesting say that we will get a greater shelf life and we'll be able to maximise the potential of a fish. Because around fish at the moment, we're only yielding 
half of it as the fillet. So it's 50% waste from every fish. At, at, best. at best. I mean, you're looking at other fish in Australia, and I'm sure there's some over here, where we'll yield 37% fillet from a fish. And so then the rest is, you know, yes, you can make very expensive fish stock from those bones and things, but, you know, there's only so much stock you can make mm. and sell. Um, so, um, you know... 91% now of a fish we've made, you know, delicious and, and celebrated and accepted and, you know, for a Western palate. Stick around to hear more from Josh Nyland, including his inventive ways for cooking some of the lesser used parts of the fish. I mean, I don't think there's any other cooking ingredient or product that would have that level of waste like no. no, nothing else no. would, and, and would be tolerable, you know. Like it's unbelievable that we've as a like we've globally normalized it. Yeah, completely. And, and yeah, but, uh, but in the east, I must say as well, in the east and Middle Eastern countries, uh, all throughout Asia and and even Africa, like there's a celebration of util- utilizing the whole fish, mm-hmm. and they've been doing it for so long, for mm-hmm. millennia. They've been they've con- consumed the whole fish. So what I'm suggesting isn't brand new no. like there there is people out there doing the right thing with regards to that but how does the eastern way translate into a western demographic like how, how do we celebrate the eyeballs how do we how do we celebrate those very confrontational texturally uncomfortable parts mm-hmm. of the fish into the way that we consume food in the west so yeah and yeah. do you think that like our, our reliance with supermarkets uh, is is a sort of problem with that because yeah. you're sort of your your like um dictated to yes. by what species of fish you're and, only and being what cut like what fillet and what portion what size what little bit you're That's getting right. of it yeah you're you're being subjected to you know maybe 10 species of fish like at best um you know yeah, globally, we're only really looking at a handful of species yeah. because that's, you know, what's <laughs> what, what consumer confidence has. Yeah. Like, I mean, just, you know, salmon, like back home in Australia, 25% of Australians consume fish in a week and of that 16% consume salmon. Yeah. So there's, there's when, when it's in front of you, like a chicken thigh that's boneless, skinless and there, mm-hmm. you develop a repertoire. Like you develop methods, you you gain significant self-confidence that when your in-laws come around to cook them a meal, you're going to get that chicken thigh and you're going to get a bunch of broccolini and you're going to do the old, you know, Uncle Ben's out of the microwave and put it with some chicken and there's dinner, you know, but you're not going to go out and buy a blue mackerel, butterfly it and then, you know, pan fry it and put it with who knows what. But if there was a space like a... You know, fishmongers and things like the communication by the customer needs to become sharper, mm-hmm. and and we need to ask and we need to you know not demand, but we need to get in front of people that can you take the bones out of that for me? Can you cut it in this way so that I can feel more confident? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's people part of the discussion. It's it's, like, yeah, yeah, like there's there's butchers out there cutting cheeks from you know a cow's head out the back because they were going to ho- take it home for their supper, but you know it's there. Yeah, They've yeah. got it and. These people are spending from two o'clock in the morning in the cold finding the best fish. Mm-hmm. So there is passion there. Yeah, there yeah. is a burning desire to be around fish and and something about fish for the for these people that that makes them tick. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
if you communicate your desire to have something delicious and seasonal and, and wonderful, there's a certain part of their brain that will be excited by that. Mm-hmm. And here, try this red mullet. It's going to be great, but let me bone it out for you. Let yeah, me yeah. butterfly it. Let me, you know, do this. So, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think that was what was really interesting about you, but it was the sort of um, trying to change the wording of like, it's you know, you, you refer to, some people refer to it as a fishmonger. Yes. As opposed to a fish butcher, whereas you call the fish butchery. Yes. Um, whereas a monger sells something, whereas a butcher yeah. like, but really you're doing the same thing as any Correct. butcher would do. You're getting the whole animal in, you're, you're, yeah. you're breaking it down into cuts and... That's right. And if, yeah, if you look at it on paper, it's um, fishmongers deal and trade in, well, mongers in general mm-hmm. deal and trade in a specific commodity. And then you look at butchery and it's the dressing and slaughtering of an animal in readiness to be sold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then why is it that we can't blur those lines and push the two together? Because I feel they go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, and I just like the idea of what the meat butchery offers up to the customer, the mm-hmm. conversation, the, you know, the, the gestures of this is how I would cook it. Here I'm going to, you know, trust this beautiful cut of meat for you and here's 180 degrees for 35 minutes yeah. rest it for 10 minutes then put it with some potatoes why can't that communication happen in a fish shop now i'm sure there's a number of fish shops around the world that do offer that service mm-hmm. but let's normalize that into everyday <laughs> yeah yeah everyday yeah. life yeah no i, th- I thought that was like, like really um like really really interesting no, that thanks. was really cool <laughs> um so you celebrate using the whole fish um, when you come up with dishes, how many like iterations do they have to go through? Is it um, is are some things easier to make really delicious than others? Like, because I know that you do something with fish eyes, which yeah. was, uh, actually my editor Laura ate um, the other night and was <laughs> cool. like mind blown. You know? No, you good. Tell us a bit about them? No, so um, you know, and this isn't to sound at all arrogant, but the the day that I thought of that, I woke up one morning and I just thought it'd be wonderful to try to make a prawn cracker out of fish eyes. And we went about that in a very standard way. We were like, okay, we need a a base, which is protein. Mm -hmm. And so we blended the eyeballs and then we passed it through a tammy and made a very fine, horrible-looking grey porridge. And then we we beat in tapioca Tapioca, flour to it and then we spread it out nice and thin, we steamed it, we dried it, and then we deep-fried it. Mm -hmm. And what we resulted in was this prawn cracker that was very alien-esque and very bubbled and, and quite dramatic. And we started selling, like serving them at the restaurant and people's fascination towards the shape and the texture and the saltiness and the crunch outweighed anybody's thinking that they were eating fish eyes. Mm -hmm. And that was a secondary. And that was what came then as good humor. And the fact then they had a story to go away and say, I ate fish eyes at St. Peter. And, you know, they have a laugh and that's part that's food. That's, that's a wonderful thing to, to create. But, um, Fish, fish offal, uh, using that in charcuterie, I've found extremely challenging for, for both myself and Paul Farag, my manager at the butchery. We both found, to th- we still find it to be very challenging to manipulate fish organs into whether it's sausages like black pudding, mm-hmm. making fish black pudding. Yeah, that really intrigued me. I would, <coughs> I would love to try that one day. Yeah. like And, and, and like, I suppose is it just is fish blood just as irony and like um is it the similar product it's to, similar to like into like we have to use uh some fish fat cut into it yeah. uh and and um but i do feel that it's even more mild than pig's blood pudding i was expecting this whack of yeah, yeah. you know iodine mineral kind of almost um 
tainted by that metallic taste. Yes, but yeah, yeah. Um, it was very clean. And I'm, I'm also saying that you need an excellent fish to be doing that, obviously. But um, uh, using fish milt, um, like shirako in Japanese cuisine, mm-hmm. the fish sperm, um, we've made mortadella sausage out of it. That's mad. And to make a mortadella um, out of that was very exciting and delicious. And we already had a fish liver pate under our belt. And so we thought, well, let's put the two of them together and do a bar me sandwich. Mm-hmm. And so we've now got a bar me sandwich on at Fish Butchery on the takeaway menu, which to me is so exciting to see people coming in and interacting with a bar me sandwich like it's very normal and they're yeah, very yeah. excited to have their lunch and then they walk out of the shop with this fish sperm, fish liver bar me sandwich and I have a giggle to myself thinking, well, wow, this is amazing to think that people have normalized this now but that's it like when someone when you go somewhere where you trust what they're doing and at the bottom line it's delicious then the like squeamishness sort of goes out of the window doesn't it exactly um so yeah even even making a yellowfin tuna cheeseburger um, from sustainable tuna and we cut the red muscle from the from the loin of the tuna and we we put it through a mincer and then we shape a patty and then we grill it over charcoal and what you end up with is something that honestly I would think you would struggle to pick between a beef burger and a tuna burger because yeah. of visually how similar it is but also the the meatiness yeah, of yeah. the aged tuna is incredible so there's huge potential. It's Pandora's box. When you start building a repertoire uh, that is in line with meat butchery but you're playing with fish, mm-hmm. you all of a sudden create a lane that's never existed and you have this wonderful opportunity, as I feel I do right now, to inspire a group of chefs that there's never been a more captive time to have you know, this conversation around what's being thrown in the bin. Mm. Um and yeah, that's what, that, that what struck me about the, 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 the book was that it seems, whether deliberate or not, but it just seems so perfect for the conversation around food at the moment. Yeah. And um, it, yeah, it took you to put it together. And But, but uh, on my Instagram, definitely like, everyone's talking about it. No, and um, yeah, it just really has struck a conversation. Like waste is obviously a big thing that everyone's talking about, but like, I don't think people would even consider fish in, in the waste, like in the category of that, you know? It's no, like, because it's so such a habitual routine for a chef. And I know that you can attend to that being a chef but mm. um, uh, to to pick up your knife and go about the tasks that a fish sets in front of you your mentor and my mentor would have shown you a particular way of how to process a fish mm-hmm. and I feel like that generationally speaking has always been the case and so it's this learning from mentor to mentor and it's just you don't question your mentor yeah, yeah. you don't question yeah, yeah. who's telling you how to do this um, and if it works or like on the surface it works or you've built a system that can navigate your way through day one to day four with this fish um, and then also have normalized in your brain, okay, well, that's just not good enough anymore and so off it goes and maybe we'll make fish cakes out of a staff meal. Um, but uh, lost my train of thought. But. <laughs> Um, no. w- when you were writing it and putting yeah. it all together, did you realize how boundary pushing it was going to be? And like just in your day to day, what you were doing, like, <coughs> and was it difficult to step away from what your mentors had and be like, actually, I'm going to do it differently to how I was always taught? Or? Yeah, I feel like uh, the mentor that I had in Stephen Hodges at Fishface, he was very much suggesting that that water 
uh, was the enemy as well. And and that was something that was tattooed into the back of my brain from mm-hmm. a very young age that, you know, you're not to process fish with water. So I had good learning with, with that. Um, but I was always curious as to um, when I was gutting a fish that I would weigh the organs and and everything that was being tossed in the bin, Mm -hmm. I would just weigh it and then I would get a dollar amount and then I would mark that up by four and then have a look at what the restaurant value was on what was going into the bin. And it was fairly startling. Like it was in some cases just shocking um, to think that we've just, yeah, thrown thrown all this money in the bin. But, um, yeah... I think that's been the biggest thing that chefs have taken away from it, just the fact that there's opportunity in there that can can help manage a small business. Because, I mean, a lot of what I've done is, is to keep bums on seats at the restaurant. Yes, with the conversation around dry aging and, and bringing good humour through cutting fish to interpret it as meat. But the main agenda here is, like, to discuss you know how to handle a fish better so that we get a longer shelf life and so that we take fewer fish from the water but also celebrate more diverse amount of species so yes there are people that are uh, slightly you know uh negative to the to the sense that i'm i'm saying that the system is flawed but that's fine um i i feel um you know, a certain sense of confidence that, you know, it's practiced now. For 18 months I've run fish butchery and for three years I've run rest- the restaurant and through through following these methods and techniques we've had great success um, both financially and also, um, you know, uh, in in the fish that we're serving and, and the flavor profiles and the deliciousness of fish mm. and, and we haven't been throwing fish in the bin. So. Yeah. Mm. And do you... Um, there's a lot of um, comparison with Fergus Anderson with from St John. How yeah. do you feel about that um, comparison? No, it's a, that, well, that's ex- tr- tremendously flattering, and I don't feel I'm worthy to be held in the same category as Fergus. But I mean, t- he's taken 25 years to c- make commercially acceptable, like to to have cheeks and snouts and tails and things in uh, ready and available in most supermarkets. Mm. Um, him, him, and many, many others. Uh, who have flown that flag have have literally pushed their way forward into the most common of um, food stores now, and and like I said, have normalised uh, these these ingredients and have brought great desirability to them and forced the price of these secondary cuts up, which is a wonderful thing, um, and and I imagine has alleviated the those prime cuts, like alleviated the pressure from those prime mm-hmm. cuts. Um, Maybe I'm living in a bubble and that hasn't filtered out far enough, but I feel like globally speaking, Fergus is held in such, you know, high um, revenants uh, for, for his work. And I feel like I'm at the very, very beginning of something quite unique with, with the way that we handle fish. And if I can achieve half of what Fergus has done in 25 years, then I'll be in a wonderful um a wonderful position of hopefully positive change with the way that we interact with fish. And I honestly think you will, because mm. from reading the book, I, I could tell it was groundbreaking. Oh, thank you. Um, and on that note, I think we'll uh, call yeah. it quits. Otherwise, thank you, we'll be here all day. Yeah, no, <laughs> and we definitely could be. I could talk all day. Oh. Um, but thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Some time. Very really kind. Thank you. Cheers. So that was the Old Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. 
If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our new November issue on the newsstand now, or go and download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat. Thank you.